Southwoods Christian Church. We're so glad to see you, whether you are here in person or on the live stream. We're just glad that you tuned in this morning, uh, and we're ready to worship our God and uh, hear what he has to say and speak into our lives this morning. So let's just stand and worship him together. the world, but it couldn't fill me, man's empty praise and treasures of faith are never enough, but then you came along and put me back together, and every desire now satisfied Than you, Lord, there's nothing, nothing. 
continue to worship in this morning and talking about how faithful God is both all the way back to the time of Abraham to today, this very moment and forevermore. Amen. Let's continue to worship him. Yeah. 
to be faithful to us. It's been so encouraging to see the church as a whole in this this body, the Southwoods Church, to continue to be faithful um, in our giving um, to our God and to trust Him with all of our resources. So let's take a moment and look at the different ways we can give in this video. Good morning, Southwoods. It's good to see you this morning. I'm going to ask you if you would. Let's just bow our heads together. Let's pray, and then uh, we'll dive into uh, our message this morning, Scripture, okay? Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your presence. Thank you that, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You never change. And thank you that we can change, that by the power of your Spirit, because of the shed blood of Jesus, because of your faithfulness and kindness toward us, we can become better, more virtuous, more godly people. We can walk in your ways. We can experience your fellowship. We can grow to become more like Jesus. And this morning, as we look at your word, we just ask that you'd help us to grasp more fully what it is to live by faith as we learn from uh, the Father of faith in Scripture. Speak to us this morning, Lord, from your word. This is our prayer, and we lift it together in Jesus' name, and everybody agreed with me and said, Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. Uh, We're talking about faith today, as I kind of alluded to in my prayer. And most of us know that faith plays a huge part in our everyday lives. For example, right now, all of you who are watching online, I am speaking to you by faith. I can't see you, but I know that you're there, right? You know, faith is exercised every time you and I deposit money in a bank where we no longer have it in our possession. That's an act of faith. Faith is demonstrated in life when you and I get on an airplane or when we ride an elevator. Every time you fill a prescription and take it, it's an act of faith. Because let me tell you, none of you know what's in that little pill. You don't. To eat at a restaurant takes faith. To marry someone requires faith because they're making promises to you that they have not yet fulfilled and only time will tell, right? It takes faith to drop your child off at preschool. I could go on, but faith plays a huge part of our everyday lives, but not all faith is equal. Here's what I want you to think. Not all faith is equal. It takes one measure of faith to trust me whom you can see, right? 
It takes a significantly greater measure of faith to trust God, whom you can't see, and let me just say, whom you can't manipulate. You can't control him. It takes a whole different degree level of faith to trust an invisible God. It takes great faith, and that's precisely why the Bible tells us about Abraham and describes him as the father of all faith because he had never seen God, yet he believed him, he obeyed him, even though he'd never seen him. I mean, it's amazing, the faith of Abraham. This morning, we're going to reflect together a bit on the life of Abraham. We're going to learn a little bit about how to live the faith-filled way. For some of you, this is a refresher of just remembering the life of this amazing man of God. For others of you, maybe you're not familiar with the, uh, the life story of Abraham and some of the, the demonstrations of faith that were a part of his, uh, his whole life experience. Either way, I think if you'll listen close for the next few moments as we kind of walk through his life together, I think you'll be inspired by Abraham's faith. I think you'll be encouraged by God's faithfulness and mercy just that shows up over and over again toward those who, who choose to follow him and to listen to his instructions. I just think that what we'll talk about this morning will help you grow in faith in whatever situation you're in in life because it gives room for the Holy Spirit to speak to you about your situation and your life and how you can demonstrate faith in, uh, in your particular situation. You know, Abraham's story began when God decided that he wanted to build a nation for himself is what the Bible tells us. And the first building block for that nation as you start reading in scripture is a person is Abram began by being known as Abram, not Abraham, if you didn't know that. And truthfully, Abram was an unlikely, unlikely guy to become the cornerstone of a nation. If you and I were going to start a nation, we're going to build a nation from scratch in the real world. Just think about this with me. Would we start by selecting a 75-year-old man to be the founder of our nation? Probably not. Probably not, unless there were no other suitable candidates, right? We just wouldn't pick that guy. I mean, we want someone in their prime of life. We want someone handsome, someone young, marketable, right? That's who we'd be looking for in our day, right? Someone full of life and passion, someone who was younger but wise beyond their years. That's what you'd really want. Somebody who, who had good discernment, the ability to know who to kind of gather around them, who to listen to, who to not, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's what we'd be looking for, right? In addition to that, would we want our leader to be capable of having children, for a lot of reasons, the answer to that is yes. I mean, if you're planning on building an enduring nation, you're going to want, you're going to want a leader who can have children for multiple reasons. Now, but according to the Bible, who does God choose to found his nation? A 75-year-old childless couple, Abram and Sarai, and his first request of them is leave your family and homeland and go where I will show you. He hadn't even showed them where to go yet. It's amazing. Why would God ask something like that of a couple like that? And here's why. Only God, hear me, only God can build a nation this way. Only God. Nobody else could pull it off. And there's a lesson for all of us here. God routinely chooses unlikely people and unconventional plans for accomplishing his purposes. Let me say that one more time just so we kind of hear it. 
because I think even hearing it maybe can strengthen our faith a little bit. God has a habit of routinely choosing unlikely people and unconventional plans for accomplishing his purposes. And here's why he, do, why he does it that way. It creates an opportunity for God to do what, frankly, only God can do. Nobody else is going to take credit for it. Only God. Just God. And in the process, not only can nobody else take credit for it, but as we witness what he does, it creates space in our souls for faith. Faith to well up inside of us to understand that we have a God who is amazing. He can do unthinkable things. He could take 75-year-old childless couple and make a nation out of them. And a lot more. The Bible identifies another building block that God used to construct a nation for himself uh, and grow faith in Abraham. And that second building block is that God made promises. There, there were promises. Not, not just um, this person, but we have promises that God made. Open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 12. Uh, some of you are kind of waiting, saying, when's he going to open a Bible? Now. So Genesis 12. Uh, Genesis chapter 12. If you don't uh, have a Bible with you, don't have it on your phone or whatever, you can follow along on the screen with me as, uh, as I read a few verses here. But this is like a really pivotal key passage when you look at the life of Abraham. And I encourage you, uh, <clears throat> just kind of remember, kind of follow in your, your mind, Genesis chapter 12, because this is, a, this is a pivotal kind of passage for a whole lot of things. So it's just valuable to remember it beyond even the scope of what we're doing today. But Genesis chapter 12, the scripture says this, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you'll be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he'd taken into his household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. And when they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. And there he set up camp beside the Oak of Moreh. And at that time, the area was inhabited by the Canaanites. And verse 7 says this, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give you this land. I will give this land to your descendants, he says. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now God made several promises in these verses. Several. A lot of times we kind of read it and we just sort of zoom past and we don't really track with them. But I want you to notice if you look back through the verses, verse 2, verse 3, verse 7, all have promises in them. Not just one or two, but actually six promises, at least six promises, if not some that maybe we don't even quite track with entirely. But here's, here's one, verse 2. I'll make you a great nation, he tells Abram. You're going to become a great nation. He says, I will bless you and make you famous. I mean, you're going to have a reputation that is second to none. I mean, it's going to be amazing how people are going to know you is really what he's saying. You'll be a blessing to others. Just generally speaking, he's saying just people you come in contact with, total strangers, they're going to be blessed because of you. They're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed because of you. He goes on. He says, I will bless this. Number four, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. This is basically they'll either not mess with you 
because if they do, they're messing with me. That's what he's saying here. Or if they really bless you in particular, I'm going to bless them back because they have blessed you. Do you see, that's kind of number four there. Number five, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. This is not just this general blessing, you know, you're going to be a blessing to others. No, this is like everybody. Everybody on the planet is going to be blessed because of you. And then verse seven says in the middle of verse, I will give this land, give this land where he's standing right there in the middle of the land of Israel today. I will give this land to your descendants. Over the next 24 years, God began to fulfill some of those promises. And interestingly, he fulfilled many of them, but not all of them. For example, a really key promise was, God says, I'm going to make many nations through you. Well, there was a problem. He didn't have a son. And time was passing, the clock was ticking, and there was no son. God's fulfilling other promises that he'd made. People were blessed who blessed him, and they were, had, they were cursed if they cursed him. And, and, you know, he was a blessing to others, and he became well-known and famous, and uh, people began to, all these things began to happen. But as time was passing, some of these promises weren't quite fulfilled yet. And nonetheless, because some of them were, I mean, Abram's faith was growing and his his courage and his, his ability to believe God. In Genesis 17, after some time has passed, picks up and God says again to, Moses, or to, uh, to Abraham, God says to Abraham, when Abram was 99 years old, I just want that to pause, pause. Okay, he's 99 years old. He's 75 when he's called, okay? So time's passed clearly, right? And here he is, 99 years of age. Some of these promises haven't come to pass yet. So what happens inside of you? Or me. It's like, I mean, this is what we're doing, right? We're wondering, we're just thinking the clock is ticking. The passage goes on, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty, which is, that's what El Shaddai means. That's Hebrew for God Almighty. It goes on, it says, Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I'll make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. Okay, now, again, still no children. Give, give you countless descendants. And at this, Abram fell face down on the ground. And then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Okay, and now he's not just going to make one nation. What's he going to do? A multitude of nations. Okay, it's escalating here, you see. What's more, God says, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham for you will be the father of many nations. Let me just pause, give you a little a very succinct Hebrew lesson. Avram is really how you say Abram's name in Hebrew. And what he changed to is Avram to Avraim. What's the point? He made his name plural. Okay? It's like going from Greg to Greg's. Okay, now why would you do this? God's making a point. God's point is, there are going to be little Abrahams, little Abrahams running around everywhere. There are going to be a multitude, countless descendants, multitude of nations, all running around little Abrahams. That's his point. Abraham, plural. 
He goes on and says, I will make you extremely fruitful, verse 6. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. That's an escalation from what he said before. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. That's an interesting promise that really we don't have time to fully, fully digest at this point. But uh, implication is, is that every generation God's revealing himself to the descendants of Abraham. Boom, 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 boom. Think about that. And he says, this is an everlasting covenant. What's that mean? It means it's not ending. It had a beginning. It will have no end. It will continue. And he says, I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever and I will be their God. Now, let me just say forever, as a friend of mine growing up used to say, is a long time. It's a long time. Now, did you notice the promises? I was trying to accent them as I read it. But I mean, this is just the first passage. Genesis 12 is full of them. And here God's like upping the ante on all of them. I mean, there's more promises. And here's the problem with promises from God. Here's the problem when, when God makes a promise to any of us. If God is slow in fulfilling them by our definition of slowness, okay? If he's slow in fulfilling them on our def, by our definition of, of slowness, sometimes we feel a need to help God along. We, we, we feel compelled to kind of nudge things in the right direction, right? Abraham and Sarah were tempted with this and succumbed to that particular temptation. Isaac's birth was 25 years delayed in their estimation. From the time when God made the promise to the time when he showed up, they were waiting for 25 years and hearing promises like this, that you know, you're going to have, you're gonna have a countless descendants, you're going to have a multitude of nations, they're going to be kings among them and all of this. And, and so they have this problem of infertility. And they cannot figure out what to do as the years, and might I add, decades pass, okay? Decades pass. And as time passes, what do they decide to do? They go to get treatment for their infertility problem. That's what they did. What did they do? They did what everybody in that generation did, which if you happen to be a person of resources and means and you had infertility issues, the, you get somebody in the household who is capable of having kids, and you have the master of the household, the head of the household, sleep with that person, and the child becomes, you know, the son or daughter of uh, the wife. It's the way it was done all throughout the Middle East in ancient times. Still that way in a lot of places. It's not around here. But that's, uh, that was what they did. And Ishmael was born. Hagar was the mother. Ishmael was born. If you know the story... All was well until Isaac was eventually born. Because guess what? Ishmael was not the child of promise that God had made. He was the child of Abraham and Sarah's effort to fulfill the will of God their way. Right? This is what it was. One of these days, though, God's promise came to pass. Isaac shows up. All was well until Isaac and Ishmael did not get along. Had a sibling rivalry, you might say. 
God's promised son could not get along with the son of Abraham and Sarah's efforts to fulfill God's will on their own. And to this day, we, we don't have time to go through this, but to this day, the son who felt rejected is at war with the son who was chosen by God. And this is not a conflict between Islam and Judaism or Islam and Christianity. I just want you to hear this. It predates Islam. It goes way, way beyond that. Islam didn't show up on the scene until five, six, about 500 A.D. It was, it was way back before that when this whole thing started. So don't, don't limit your thinking to trying to understand this to just it's a conflict of religious. No, it, it goes beyond that. It's way back beyond that. A lot could be said about that, but I need to ask you with all of this in mind, what promises, what prophecies has God made to you? What's he spoken to you? It's not an uncommon experience for me to interact with, with believers and, you know, they kind of feel like God's leading them in a certain way. He wants them to do this or that. And, and you know, once in a while you'll hear somebody say that and what they want is like totally crazy. But let me just say that's, most of the time that's rare. I mean, most of the time it's like you hear what people are saying and it's kind of like, well, that could be, could be. But what's a temptation for us when God makes a promise to us or when he prophesies something over us in some way? What, what, what's, what do we need to keep in mind when that happens? We need to keep this in mind. God does not need our help to fulfill his promises. If it's a promise from God, our God who specializes in doing the impossible, in doing what only he can do, doesn't really need us to help make it come to pass. What he needs from us is he needs patient faith. Faith that will wait. Faith that will hope. Even if you happen to be 99 years of age and you keep hearing these promises and you wonder how on earth could God fulfill this? Because our God is a master at doing anything that he sets his mind and will to do. Patient faith is one of the lessons that we learn from Abraham. Probably sometimes we're tempted to kind of say, ah, oh, look at Ishmael. He, they, he clearly didn't have faith there. No, 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 no. I think it was like 13 years or something he waited before he went down that path. How many of us have heard something from God and waited 13 years? I mean, some of us, you know, 13 days were like, Sweating and pulling her hair out, wondering, what do I, how do I, how do I do, how do I help God along here? We can learn patient, enduring faith from Abraham. God routinely chooses unlikely people and unconventional plans for accomplishing his purposes. You know, waiting patiently for the fulfillment of God's promises is just a really key thing for all of us who are going to learn how to live the faith-filled way. But the Bible identifies a third building block that God wants us to, to use, to, that God uses to grow faith in us in Abraham's life as well. And the uh, third building block is this. He uses promptings. What do I mean by that? God gave several instructions, several really clear I want you to do this, several clear instructions, promptings to Abraham. And Abraham had a choice. Was he going to follow the lead of God in this or was he not? God tells him, I want you to leave your hometown. Will he do it or not? It's a choice. 
He says, I want you to be circumcised. You go back and read Genesis 12 through 25, and this is one of his, one of his instructions to him. It was part of, the, part of the key to fulfillment of the kind of promises that God made. God was going to do these things. All, what Abraham had to do was be circumcised, he and his household and, and everybody in the family and so forth. And so that, was, that were all the, the men in the family. So this was, this was God's instruction. Would he obey or not? You know, God told him, you know, believe that he'd have a son through Sarah. God wanted him to believe, even though she was too old to have children and Abraham was even older. Okay. God told him a lot of other things in Genesis 12 to 25. I encourage you to go back and read it if you haven't read it lately. It, it will inspire your faith and stretch it a bit. But what were these promptings all about? Every one of the ones I mentioned and others that I didn't. They were about faith. Opportunities for Abraham to exercise his faith just like you or I might exercise a barbell, just like we might do a push-up, just like we might do a setup. It's an opportunity to exercise faith, trust, to obey. And here's why that's so important to God. If we roll the clock back all the way to the Garden of Eden, you remember what happened there? Even Adam did what? They distrusted God's word. And they broke faith with God in the garden. And because of that choice, ever since that moment, the rest of history has been all about you and me as their descendants, learning what Hebrews 11:6 tells us real succinctly. That passage just says, it's impossible to please God, say it with me, without faith. That was really weak. Let's read the whole verse then together, okay? Let's do that. It's impossible to please God without faith. And it goes on to say, anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely, those who authentically with, with their whole heart are seeking him. He's going he's gonna to reward that. You've got to believe that. And of course, Abraham did. Abraham became the founder of a nation of faith because he followed God's promptings. So my question for you this morning is, are you following some of the promptings of God in your life? Are you following the ones that you see in scripture? One of the promptings, for example, is to be baptized in expression of your faith. Have you been baptized in water as scripture teaches? Are you doing that? Are you encouraging others? Are you shepherding the people in your life? You know, are you nurturing those people? We go through a long list of things that Scripture teaches about encouraging one another, serving one another, correcting and rebuking one another when we're sort of off you know, in love doing that. At times that needs to be done. And on and on we go as we look at Scripture, things that God gives us instruction to, all of which are opportunities to demonstrate faith trust, obedience, just as somebody becoming physically fit might do sit-ups or something else. It's an exercise of faith. Will you choose to trust God like Abraham did? You know, the Bible goes on to uh, summarize Abraham's life this way, and it's a real pretty succinct passage in Hebrews, and I want to read it to you. Hebrews 11, verses 8 and following says this, It was by faith that Abraham obeyed God, 
obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith for he was like a foreigner living in tents, which is just to say he didn't even build a house, a permanent structure. He's living in a tent in the place. God's telling him he's going to give him the land. The verse goes on and says, and so, and so did Isaac and Jacob, his sons, who inherited the same promise. Verse 10 continues, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. And it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there's no way to count them. Abraham was a man of immense faith. And he lived the faith-filled way of life. And God's calling all of us to follow in Abraham's footsteps to the extent that he was following God's ways. So we do that. We choose today to rededicate your heart, your life, to walking in faith. Maybe you need to put your faith in Jesus this morning. You need to look upward and just acknowledge that part of, part of the faith that we're called to is acknowledging that I'm not going to be okay before God without Jesus a part of my life. That's what the scriptures tell us. Maybe this morning it's just you looking heavenward and saying, okay, I'll accept what I maybe don't like. Some of us may think that. But I'll accept it nonetheless, what I can't change. And Lord Jesus, would you fill my heart? Would you fill my life? Maybe others of us, you just, you know God is good and he's gracious and he died on a cross for you is what he did in your heart. You just need to open up and let him love you as he does. Just give yourself to him. Maybe others of us, there are promises God's made and you've let them fall by the wayside for some time. And this morning, the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart saying, remember that promise. Remember that promise I made to you. Maybe you need to believe today. Choose to believe Maybe God's saying something else, something else he wants you to do. But my encouragement to you is let's live the faith-filled way of life that Abraham and countless others have lived in the centuries that have gone before us. In just a few moments, we're going to share in the Lord's Supper together. And as we prepare to do that, I want to remind you of kind of a, the supreme test of Abraham's faith that I haven't even alluded to yet here in the text. So we've looked at the scriptures. Genesis 22, verse 2, God speaks to Abram, Abraham another time. And this is after Isaac's been born and he's still got all these promises in his mind. Just think about that. And then God says to him in Genesis 22, 2, Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. How do you think that felt to Abraham. I mean, after all that he'd sacrificed, all the choices he had made, all, all the faith he'd demonstrated, then to have God ask him to give his one and only son, why would God ask such a thing? We know what Abraham at that moment didn't know. 
he asked him to do that because in God's mind, he was planning exactly what happened. He, he was going to provide a substitute sacrifice for Abraham and Isaac. He was going to do that. There was a ram caught in the thicket, Genesis 22 goes on to tell us. And at the last moment, Abraham was able to get the ram, sacrifice it in the place of Isaac and himself. God planned it that way. But what Abraham didn't understand, and we know, is that God did it that way because it was his plan to take his one and only son, whom he loved so much, and he was planning to sacrifice him on a cross as payment for the sins of all of mankind, every person who's ever walked the face of this earth. And there would be no last minute substitute. He would suffer, he would die. In just a few moments as we share in the Lord's Supper this morning, my encouragement to you is spend a few moments thanking God for Jesus who suffered as a substitute punishment for the sins that you've committed and I've committed and our world is guilty of. And then spend a few moments just asking God to give you strength to live the faith-filled way in the days ahead. Just help him to do that, ask him to do that, all right? We're gonna share in the Lord's Supper. Hopefully you grabbed that as you came in this morning. Uh, the, the bread is a symbol of Jesus' body. The juice is a symbol of Jesus' blood. And as you take those elements, just pray as we've talked about. And if you're at home, just invite you to, uh, to take those, those elements wherever you are and join us in prayer as well. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice, your willing sacrifice. Uh, you allowed yourself to be bound to a cross nails to be driven into your hands and feet, spear into your side. You were beaten and abused. You suffered, were executed on our behalf. And for that, we're eternally grateful. We declare our faith in you, our love for you, our gratitude toward you. This morning, our request is that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness afresh. We thank you for your shed blood, which provides for the atonement for our sins. We just ask, Lord, that you would fill us with faith, fill us with courage. Help us to believe like Abraham did. Thank you that we can receive as he did as well. So many things in this life, so many blessings, so many provisions for you. And we thank you that Anything that he promised made that we don't experience in the flesh in this life, that just as Abraham, we will see it come to pass. Because the architect, the builder of life is the living God. And because of your sacrifice, Lord Jesus, we can live. We do live. Thank you. Be with us in these moments as we remember and reflect on these things. We lift this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
as Greg was saying, um, you know, Abraham seemed that there were, there were, it seemed as though there were problems that were just impossible to overcome. Um, we have, the, we have, I know that we have um, obstacles, battles that uh, seem insurpassable. They just, they seem that way. Uh, but we know, uh, we have this faith because we know that the battles belong to, they belong to our God. We have that faith. So let's have this confidence. And as you feel the Holy Spirit tell you, like, yes, you have it, God. This battle, this obstacle that I can't overcome belongs to you. Feel free to stand and continue to, and, and worship with us um, as you feel the Holy Spirit lead you.
faithful example to the world around us that you are real that miracles do still happen and you are a father who loves us in Jesus name Amen